All right. I hope so. I hope so. Good. Thank you, man. Wonderful time. So just in this coming week, um, we're going to be praying and fasting as elders. I say that to you, not so you think we're special, but please remember us in your prayers as we seek God. We're really excited about it. And then, of course, next Sunday is an important one. We want to, this is what I'm kind of picturing, so let's see if we're going to work it, but I um, want to speak vision, which is vital for this year. And then we're also probably going to do like a very mini, very mini bite-sized preach on this series as well, because actually it's something I think fits quite nicely, so wait and see, but uh, that's what I mean, please join us next Sunday, that's the bottom line, it really is going to be an important Sunday as we look at vision in this year ahead. All right, good, so I'm sure that quite a few of us in the room will have tried dieting before, you don't have to put your hands up, okay? Um, according to one stat I came across in the States, they say that women on average will attempt diet seven times in their lives, that's the average, okay, which I think is pretty high. Um, then it was another report from 2019 that said that in the U.S., again, these figures usually come from there, in the U.S., the weight loss market was worth a record $72 billion last year. Tectic, eh? Almost as much as the Eskom bonuses. I mean, it was a, it's a big number, eh? But anyway, just joking. So um, in this, I was watching this documentary, this TV documentary, and the topic they were exploring was why diets fail, why diets fail. Do you want to know the reason they gave? Why diets fail? Are you ready? Eh? Okay, so just shift to the edge of your seat. Okay, prepare, brace yourself. Here it comes. It's great revelation coming to you. The reason why diets fail is because people can't stick to them. Okay. <laughs> Epic disappointment. Epic letdown. That's kind of like saying the reason why it's light in the morning and no longer dark is because the sun comes up. You know, it's like, thank you, Captain Obvious, for that great revelation. But that's the truth, isn't it? The reason why things like that tend to fail is because we struggle. Turn to your neighbor and say, we the challenge. We the challenge, aren't we? Um, don't say you the challenge. Say we the challenge. Then you include yourself. We the challenge, all right, in this thing. And uh, when it comes to sticking to things like diets. Now, I'm going to jump straight on, uh, ignore that thing about the biggest loser. I was going to share something, but I actually feel just to drop that. So we're going to go straight to a scripture where Paul writes about the struggle of us trying to do something potentially good, but really so often feeling, feeling pulled in the opposite direction. It's Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25, and I'm going to read it to you from the message. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it here. So let's read Romans 7, 14 to 25. I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't know what it takes, don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel 
and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. It's well written, isn't it? Just, it's so beautiful. Paul writes here about this conflict, this turmoil, this contradiction. We so often, we want to do the right thing and we don't really follow through. We don't want to do the bad thing and end up doing it anyway, all right? This kind of contradiction. He also writes about something that's gone wrong deep within us, and we're going to come back to that just a little later on, okay? And there's this desperate cry for help. Can anyone help me? Can anyone do something? I'm at the end of my rope. I love that statement. And then comes the glorious promise, the glorious hope we have. Yes, there is someone who can help. Jesus Christ has already intervened, and he is able. That's great news for us today. So we, if you weren't here last Sunday, we kicked off a series called Recalculate. And if I can have that slide over here, we're using the driving kind of picture. It's nice to see the evening one's also got the, the drive, the road ahead. And um, the, really what it's about is this, is that we agreed last Sunday that none of us love to drive in bumper-to-bumper traffic, you know, mornings, afternoons, turn from work or school trips, whatever it might be. We don't enjoy it, do we? Now, the thing is, if I could come to you and say, hey, I know about a secret little route hardly anyone knows about, hardly any cars, it's quiet, it's quick, good roads, no irritating drivers, you'd beg me to tell, to tell you about that route, wouldn't you? We all want to find a better route. And that's the essence of what this series is about. It's about finding a better route for our lives in 2020. It's not necessarily a change of destination. Okay? It's not, that's not really what it's about. Although, as we said last week, if you realize that who and what you're living for is wrong, well, then you do need a change of destination, don't you? Okay? But what it's really about is making sometimes what might be small improvements, small changes even, but actually that add up to big changes in how we're living our lives. All right? And uh, remember we said too that It's about us taking the initiative, not sitting there with fingers crossed, hoping that some kind of change might come out of somewhere while we just follow the same old route day after day. It's about taking stock with God and together with God, making changes. All right, so that's what it's about. And we said too that the best route our lives can take in 2020 is always going to be with God on the path that He has set for us. All right, so I also said to you last Sunday that this isn't a New Year's resolution series. How many of us had New Year's resolutions for 2020. No one, are you, are you t- I must be more bold in 2020. It's like, like, you know, I'm just joking, okay. So they're not wrong, okay? They're not bad things, obviously. Um, it's good to have something that you're shooting for, something you're aiming at. But as we know, the challenge is that so often New Year's resolutions don't seem to work, do they? So often we, we don't seem to follow through and actually see the results that we were shooting for, hit that target that we were aiming at. And um, I came across a figure, so let me ask you, By Valentine's Day, what percentage of New Year's resolutions do you think will have bombed, will have failed? Give me a number. What do you think? 70? Somewhere in the 90s. You're right. In the 90s, 92% of New Year's resolutions will have failed. They'll have been shelved, put away by 14 February. That's that's the number, okay, on average. So there's clearly a challenge. So yeah, we're going to look at three reasons why resolutions and good intentions tend to fail. Why do we so often fail when it comes to our resolutions and good intentions. Some stuff that I must say I found helpful through Craig Rochelle research that they've done. We're going to look at three. The first two reasons we're going to, I'm going to break open, we're going to wet our appetites, and we're going to come back to them later in the series, okay? The third one is the one that I really do want to linger on a bit longer today. So let's go. 
Reason number one why resolutions and good intentions tend to fail, because we focus on the what, but we don't understand the how. We focus on the what, we don't understand the how. So here's the thing. Let's begin by recognizing that most of us will have similar goals, and our goals will be good. Have you ever found a Christian who says, my goal in 2020 is to backslide. I want to slip further away from Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Ever found a Christian like that? Of course not. If you have spiritual goals, it's going to be to grow in your walk with the Lord. It's going to be to grow in Christ-likeness, okay? Ever come across someone who said, my health goal this year is to triple my bad cholesterol? No, you don't, say. Eh? You have good health goals. If it's um, finance goals, it's going to be to get out of debt or to reduce debt. It's not going to be to double your debt and find even higher rates of interest that you can pay. The point is, our goals are generally good goals. The problem is not with the goals. The problem is when it comes to how we get to achieving and releasing those goals, okay? And so James Clear says something along these lines. Winners and losers generally have the same goals. Think about it. This afternoon, my team, Liverpool, plays Manchester United. I hope they absolutely annihilate them, okay? But here's the thing. When Man United and Liverpool walk onto that pitch, they've got the same goal. They both want to win the match. It's not possible for both of them to do that. Winners and losers both have the same goals, okay? The difference comes with the systems. Goals don't determine our success, but systems do. It's the systems in our lives that will get us there towards what we're aiming at, okay? So I've been, look, I mentioned James Clear's name. I've been looking at some of his stuff. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits. Please just be forewarned, it's not a Christian book. You're not going to find scriptures and, you know, theological references. It's just a very practical book on habits, and some of his stuff is quite good. So he says this which is a great statement. He says, you don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems, okay? You don't rise to the level of your goals. You'll fall. Wherever your system's at, that's basically what you're going to achieve. Craig Rochelle says, if we can create the right habits and systems, then success tends to follow, all right? So last Sunday, I briefly touched, this broke open the subject of habits. It's something we're going to look at later on this series. We said that so much of what we do is actually out of habits, and habits actually control and influence a much bigger area of our lives than we, than we probably realize. This is a very important area. And so the thing is, habits make up an important part of these systems that James Clear is talking about. And if we can get these things right, okay, this is going to lead to change and to success ultimately. So I've been doing a lot of reading into this. It's fascinating. There are changes that I'm making in my own life. And um, I'm looking forward to sharing on this. It'll probably be like mid-Feb, I think. Um, just need a bit more time, and there's some of the things we're covering before then as well. But I really, it's going to be practically helpful, and I hope, I'm really trusting it's going to help you too. All right, that's reason number one. Reason number two, why resolutions and good intentions so often fail. Reason two is we don't see progress or results fast enough. We don't see progress or results fast enough. You see, you can make small good decisions in your life, and there doesn't seem to be too much difference. You don't notice any change up front. And then, conversely, you can make bad small decisions, and again, immediately there's not too much change. You, you seem to be getting away with it, all right? The problem is that we give up too quickly and too, e- excuse me, too easily, too quickly and too easily on things that could ultimately be for our good, all right? Let's look at it some more. So James Clear says this, the cost of your bad habits is in the future. The cost of your good habits is in the present, okay? It's a great statement. I want to um, open up some more with you. The cost of your bad habits is in the future. The cost of your good habits is in the present. Let's illustrate with good habits first, okay? Anyone here ever tried to get fit when you are very unfit? Huh? Anyone? Anyone experienced that? 
Now, you'll know those first two to three weeks, sometimes even longer, can feel like torture if you are regularly, consistently sticking to something to try and get fit. I mean, you wake up in the morning, yes, and your body's aching, your muscles are sore. You look in the mirror, and you can't see any change, you know? It's like a grunt. It's like torture, isn't it? In the immediate, there doesn't seem, in the present, there doesn't seem to be any benefit. It just feels like this cost you pain. But if you persevere, if you persist, you keep on hitting your exercises and your workouts, what's going to happen? A few months down the line, stand in the mirror, and you're going to see a change. You're going to feel different. You're going to feel better. So the rewards you reap will come further down the line. They're not in the presence. The cost's in the presence. The reward is actually in the future, a bit further down the road. Okay? All right? You with me? All agree? Okay. Now, the opposite is true when it comes to bad habits. Very often with bad habits, there is no cost to pay in the present. In fact, it can actually be quite pleasurable, quite enjoyable. You seem to be getting away with it. The cost, when it comes to bad habits, will be paid in the future. Okay? Very similar. We say bad habits. The same thing with sin. Very often with sin, you get away with it up front. It doesn't seem like it's making any massive detrimental difference in your life can even seem pleasurable in the present, but the sin price tag will be paid in the future. Okay, so I'll give you an example of this. Look, talk about potential bad habits. On Thursday, I was up in Peter Maritzburg. We had an NCMI relating pastor's time. It was really great at One Life Church, and uh, they really spoiled us afterwards. They put out some wonderful, tasty treats, okay? Amongst the tasty treats were platters of cinnamon sugar donuts, okay? That's like my kryptonite, that and chocolate cake, Okay? I love cinnamon sugar donuts. Now, let's be honest. There's some out there that are pretty, you know, awful. But then you get some cinnamon sugar donuts. I mean, they are like the Woolworths ones. Those ones are like the Rolls Royce of cinnamon sugar donuts. They're amazing, okay? And uh, I'll choose that. Don't forget about icing and stuffing and whatever you want to put in donuts. Just give me cinnamon sugar. I'm so happy, baby. That's beautiful. All right, so here are these platters of cinnamon sugar donuts. They look similar. to They're a bit smaller than the Woolworths one. Guess how many I had? Three. With a whole lot of other tasty treats besides, okay? Now, I didn't gorge my, you know, I did make sure everyone had come through, everyone had got food, so I just helped them mop up afterwards. You know, someone's got to do it, you know, it was, it was a price I was willing to pay. All right, so anyway, so I had all my donuts, was good. Now, when I got home on Thursday night, there wasn't any change. I didn't, like, you know, bulging stomach, and suddenly I looked different, okay? In the present, there's no thing. It's, it's fine. But imagine that on Friday, I tucked into three more cinnamon sugar donuts and Saturday, and that became my new daily habit, my new daily Bad habit. Not much change immediately, but when's the price going to be paid? A few months down the line, when suddenly I'm like, listen, I can't, I can't fit into any of my clothes anymore. I've got to buy a whole new wardrobe, okay? The price, the cost will always be paid in the future when it comes to bad habits. All right. Galatians 6 verse 9 says this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up, Okay? There's usually a cost with doing good. Anything good in life, usually in the present, there's some sort of cost, some kind of sacrifice that you have to make, okay? The benefits, there are some blessings and benefits. We probably will talk about that later. But generally speaking, the real blessings, the rewards come later. We mustn't give up because if we persevere, if we don't grow weary, further down the road, we'll reap those rewards. We'll see those blessings coming through. All right, there will be a harvest time. By the way, I've also heard this when it comes to things like quiet time. Sometimes someone feels God stirring them to have a quiet time, and they've never had one before. And after two weeks, sometimes a week, they're ready to throw in the towel. Why? Because it's hard getting up early every morning, reading my Bible, and I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it. My prayers feel like they're bouncing off the roof. And friends, very often we are quick to throw in the towel. It is, it is hard to get something like that 
established in your life. But if you'd give it time, if you'd persevere, then you will see the fruit further down the road. There will be many rewards that you reap spiritually from those times with the Lord. All right, so we're going to also come back to this most probably a little later in the series. Reason number three why our resolutions and habits often fail is this. Our distorted identity sabotages our success. Our distorted identity sabotages our success. So in Romans 7, we remember Paul referred to something wrong deep down inside of him. There's a problem deep down on the inside, and it goes all the way down to our identity because your identity is what you believe about yourself. And what we believe in ourselves, about ourselves, will affect how we live. The who, who we are, influences the do, the actions, how we live. Okay? This is an important one. So in 2018, we did, a, it was, I think it was one of our, probably our most important series ever. We did on identity. We looked at this, identity in Christ. And remember we said, I used the illustration of our life being like a ship. My life, your life. We've like these ships. And on the mast of the ship, we got these flags flying, these colors over our lives. And in some cases, friends, the flags over our lives are lies from hell. Very often they're things that other people have spoken over us, sometimes even people close to us, but they are lies from the pit of hell. And what we've got to do is we've got to get up on that mast and rip those things down because those flags influence how we live our lives. They really do. Throw those things overboard. And in their place, we climb up again and we put new flags up and we pin them, nail them to the mast so you can't take them down. Those flags are our true identity and specifically our true identity in Christ, okay? It's what God speaks over us as our true identity. That is what we need, the place that we live from. Okay, we're going to look at that some more as we go. By the way, another thing that the enemy often tries to do when it comes to identity is he tries to get us to define our identity by our failures, okay? Especially past failures. So you'll find people making statements like this. I've always been like this. It runs in my family. I've, um, I've always had a short fuse, a quick temper. I've um, always overeaten. I'm never neat and tidy. People make those kind of statements. Now, that's true. That might have been something that you've struggled with, okay? But if that's what you believe to be true of yourself, you are almost, and I say this with great love, you're almost wasting your time trying to act in a different way because you can't have an inner belief, this is who I am, and then try to live in, in contradiction to what you believe to be true about yourself. So we have to. That old saying, change comes from the inside. It's how God works in us. He changes us from the inside out. We have to go deep and change that identity, transform it, take down the lies, put up the truth, because that's the only way we can sustain and live in true change. Amen. Can I have an amen? Very quiet there today. Good. All right. The do flows out of the who. Okay. Craig Rochelle puts it like this. He says, an unhealthy identity creates unwise habits then unwise habits reinforce the unhealthy identity. So can you see it? It's almost like this toxic cycle, okay? Unhealthy identity leads to bad habits. Those bad habits swing back and reinforce the unhealthy identity, and this thing just spirals, okay, and can potentially get worse. So who before do? In other words, we must prioritize focusing on our identity, who we really are, and then that is going to influence and lead to change when it comes to what we actually do and how we live. Now, it's interesting that even guys like James Clear, they really recognize the importance of identity when it comes to change, and uh, uses the picture of an onion. So the outer layer of the onion would be what we're trying to achieve. So like with a New Year's resolution, that's your goal. That's what you're trying to achieve, okay? The, the middle layer of the thing is your systems. That's the how. That's how you're going to go about getting to that goal. So if you've got that, I mean, very often people just have a goal, but they don't have a how. So if you've got that, that's great, but it's not enough. 
You've got to go deeper because right at the core of the onion, the innermost layer is your identity. Your identity will drive your behavior. It's going to affect how you live. And that's the thing that you've really, first and foremost, got to go after when it comes to change in terms of how we live, okay? That is the deepest and most important layer, you could say. All right, so just to try and explain this, and I've really wrestled with how I'm going to bring this across. Been doing some reading, obviously, in prep for this. And when it comes to identity, I'm going to talk about, because it's the best way I can try and explain it to you, it's almost like people have two levels when it comes to identity, all right? Two things that they are kind of thinking about. So the first one we're going to call desired identity, desired identity. You can also call it decided identity. I know that sounds terrible, not, not great English, but anyway, all right? So some, like James Clear, would say that in order to change your identity, again, which is what you believe to be true about yourself, okay? Your first step is to decide on the identity you want. That might sound a bit strange, okay? So it's not identity theft. It's not me waking up and saying, today I'll be Grant Hansen, okay? I'm not taking the identity of a specific person who's alive now or who once lived. It's the type of person that you want to be. So you've got to say to yourself, what would the type of person who does this or that, what would they look like? What would their identity be? So I'll give you an example. Let's say that you want to get fitter this year. It's one of the things you want to grow in your fitness and strength, okay? The question would be, what does the type of person who is fit and strong look like? What, what would be true of their lives? And one of the things you might realize is, well, they pitch up for training. You know, if they're going to train four times a week, they're not going to miss it. They don't miss their workouts and their exercises, okay? So that's what you take on. It's changing what you believe to be true of yourself, okay? That's step one. Step two, then, Going back to the thing of Craig Rochelle, then you start to actually put into practice even some small habits that reinforce, that embody that new identity. So using the fitness one, it would be to pitch up at gym. If you're going to go four times a week at five o'clock, you pitch up at five o'clock, you show up. You don't train for an hour because then you get your friends to visit you in hospital and that's probably the end of your plan, you know? Even if you're there for five minutes, it's not about how long you're there. The point is you showed up because that is what the type of person with that identity would do. Does that make sense to you? Okay? That's how this works, all right? Yeah. Another example would be, let's say that um, you want to become a more organized person. And one of the things, if you look at what does that type of person look like, what's the identity? Well, sometimes it's the small things. When they get up in the morning, they make their bed, first thing. So that's what you do. You get out of bed, you make your bed, first thing. Why? Because that is what an organized person would do, and that's who you're becoming. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is how this thing works. Now, um, Craig Rochelle also uses this example. He says, imagine someone who is trying to give up smoking, trying to quit smoking. Even there, what we speak can be important. So if someone had to offer that person a cigarette and they say, no thanks, I'm trying to quit, what you're doing is you're still identifying yourself as a smoker, okay? I'm a smoker trying to give up. But if you get offered the cigarette and you say, no thanks, I don't smoke anymore, now you are a non-smoker. It sounds like semantics, but actually it's important. What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe to be true? So as I'm saying all this to you, if you read between the lines, this can sound like self-improvement kind of thinking and methodology, and it's, it is, to a large extent, this kind of stuff is. Some Christians want to chuck out anything, any kind of thinking or methodology to do with self-improvement. I want to say to you with great respect, I don't think that's right. Please hear me on this. I'm not talking about kind of new, new age thinking and, you know, all sorts of weird stuff, but the point is there is a lot of self-improvement stuff, self-help stuff that's actually common sense. It's practical wisdom. And wisdom ultimately comes from God. It's just common sense stuff. So be careful just about throwing something out just because, you know, it might be a self-help type of thing. But here's the problem, if you like, when it comes to self-help stuff. It can help you 
It can help you, but it doesn't go far enough. It can only go so far. There's still a missing gap, and that's where only God can come in to fill that gap. And so now we've been speaking about a desired identity. That's something that I feel I want to take on. I want to become that person. But now we're going to speak about the deepest level, I believe, the truest foundation of identity, which is our identity in Christ. Okay, so that's our second one, our new identity in Christ. When we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we received a new identity in Him. So, for example, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 17 in the ESV says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a new creation. You're a new creation. Don't giggle when you look at them, okay? You're a new creation. You see, when it comes to that desired identity, the one we spoke about earlier, it's kind of me looking at something and saying, I want to be like that. That's what I want to become. Well, this one you don't choose. This is who you are. This is who God says you are. This is your true identity. You don't have to like, try and convince yourself of anything. And even yeah, and that's why, by the way, I believe this is our surest, truest foundation when it comes to identity. We might wonder, though, you know, are we saying we've got to fake it till we make it? Have you heard that expression? We've got to fake it till we make it because I'm a new creation, okay? But for some of us, okay, if we stand in front of the mirror and we look, we might not be seeing too much of a new creation reflected back at us, eh? It might feel like you're looking at an old Nokia 3310, not a new iPhone 11. You know what I'm saying, okay? Good news is the resurrected body's coming. Just hang in there, okay? It's coming, all right? But this is where it's more true, friends, is in terms of how we live our lives, I'm supposed to be this new creation, but so often I don't feel like I'm living like one. Isn't it? So we go back to Paul's conflict earlier. You know, you, you're in traffic and you lose your temper, or you, you moan at the kids and, and get a bit more riled up than you should in that moment, or you're at work and you're exaggerating, and then you tell a white lie and someone catches you out and exposes you, or late at night you're watching something on TV or on your computer screen that you shouldn't be looking at, and you linger, and you take all that stuff in, all those images, Okay. In those moments, friends, we don't feel like new creations, do we? Okay? We don't feel like it in that moment. How does that work? Okay, so I'm going to try and explain it to you using marriage as an illustration. All right? So on the 23rd of October, 1999, I married Laurie Kamal. Okay? On my wedding day, was I a perfect husband? No. Okay? As I stand here today, am I a perfect husband? What do you mean, no? Of course I am, man. Laurie's yeah, Laurie's downstairs. Of course I am. Of course, no. Okay. Of course not. All right. Of course not. So here's the thing. On the 23rd of October, 1999, my status changed. I went from being single to being a husband. Okay. On that day, I wasn't perfect. I'm still not perfect. But my status is husband, and I'm growing. Over time, by God's grace, he's working me to become more and more the husband that he wants me to be. So that's who I am, and I'm growing to become that. When you and I came to faith in Jesus, our status changed. We became followers of Jesus, which also means that we get the new identity in Christ. That is who you are. You have a new identity. It's not, it's, that is the truest thing of you. So in other words, when I'm doing the things that don't reflect my new creation status, that's, not the, that's, the, that's the exception, if, I could, if you understand what I'm trying to say. My true status is new creation, and I'm growing to become that. By the way, so often the enemy, well, you slip up, you mess up, and either the enemy or even us sometimes, we're so critical, so harsh with ourselves, and we think, well, it can't be true of me, and you go back to believing the old enemy's lies about you. Don't. Go to recognize we works in progress. Give yourself some grace. 
forgive yourself even as you come to the Father to receive the forgiveness that's from him. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's so important that we recognize there's a process. I am this, and I'm becoming this. All right, that's true of everything with our new identity in Christ. I am this, but I'm growing into who I really am. I'm growing up into the fullness of my new identity. Amen. All right, good. So, identity in Christ is our truest, truest identity. It's who we really are. Now, last week I just mentioned to you very quickly that this is part of our destination, part of the journey that we're making. It's towards God, it's with God, it's for God, but it's also around this thing of identity. As I grow in, in my identity, I'm growing, I'm moving towards my true destination, and I'm also growing to be more and more conformed to the image of Christ, which is what we are covering in the evening. Some really helpful stuff that we're going to be covering. I urge you to get there as we are growing to be conformed to the image of Jesus for the sake of the world. All right, it's going to be really, really good, and it will help you. We're going to delve into this a whole lot more as well. So our deepest and truest identity is in Christ. And by the way, this also supports a whole lot of other good habits in our life as well. It's not only these spiritual sounding ones, it's other good ones too. Let me give you one quick example. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The context of this scripture is sexual purity. It is honoring God with your body by avoiding sexual immorality. But when I see this, I see an identity statement. I am a temple of the living God. I am a temple. Do you see that? That's true. That is true about it. It says you, you're looking at a temple. This temple is so special. I'm even getting a solar panel at the top. Eh? So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Real, baby. So, this is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, if I believe that, it's going to affect how I live. Isn't that so? It's going to change. So, if this is the temple of the Holy Spirit, it means that I want to look after it. I don't just want to overeat and cram it full of all kinds of junk. I want the Holy Spirit to be able to live and abide in this, tent, in this, in this temple for as long as He needs to do all the work that He wants to do in me and through me. Can you see how that if you believe something to be true, it's going to influence how you live? All right, who before do? We're going to end off with this passage today. Matthew 16, 13 to 17. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Jesus didn't ask these questions because he was insecure. Wasn't all flattered, you know, by Peter's reply. <gasps> You really think that about me? No, no, no. Friends, there has never, ever, ever been anyone clearer on their identity than Jesus Christ. He knew he was crystal clear, and that shaped how he lived and what he was prepared ultimately to do for us as we come to the table in a moment to remember his sacrifice, okay? And so when Peter gives that answer, instantly Jesus recognizes, Jesus recognizes correct, 100% right, he's just described who I am. That is my true identity. And he tells Peter that what's revealed hasn't come to him by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. Friends, what the Father says over you is your true identity. Not what the opinions and the voices of the world might say. Not even your desired identity, what you might want to become like. Your truest identity is what your Father speaks over you. And we find it in the Word of God. It's full, it is rich. All those promises and those declarations are in God's Word. Okay? Our truest and deepest identity comes from Him. So these are two statements I want to leave you with. And I'd love it if you'd go through this in the week. We can't cover it all now, but just to say, Father, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And then, Holy Spirit, 
expose any identity lies that I may be living under. So often, friends, we, we've had these things over us for so long, we've almost just accepted it as the norm of our lives. That's who I am. That's how I live. Okay? And we've got these lies that are dictating and influencing and shaping our behavior, how we live. We've got to rip those things down. Ask the Holy Spirit to show us those things. And in their place, we put up the things that the Father says in His Word about who we are, our new and our true identity in Jesus Christ. I wonder if we can pray. And uh, I'm going to ask the team to come up as well as we're going to worship in a moment and then we'll share communion together. Lord, we want to thank you today for the fact that who you say we are, who you say we are matters most. It's our truest identity we can have. And we recognize today, Lord, that if we can believe what you say, it's going to change who we are and how we live. But if we just get that right, the who we are, it is going to shape and influence and change how we live our lives. And so today, Lord, those two statements, I just want to bring them before you now. And I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us with this. I pray, would you expose in this place and even through this week, expose lies, Lord, that we might just be taking for granted, that we might believe to be true because they've been flying over our lives for so long. Even lies that have been spoken by people who are so close to us, but they remain lies. Even well-intentioned lies are still lies. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would show us those things as only you can. Reveal them to us. And then I pray for the grace and the courage to climb up those masts of our lives and to rip those lies down, to tear them down and to throw them overboard and leave them behind in the past where they belong. And then, Lord, to replace them with the truth of who you say we are. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, that we can't try to change on the exterior when the interior is leaning in completely the opposite direction. We want to pray. Bring that change as only you can from the inside out. Paul recognized it. There's a problem deep on the inside. We can only address that with you and as you speak truth and as you bring transformation from the inside out. It has to begin there. We ask for that today. We surrender to that today. We declare our total dependence on you, Lord, to help us with this and to do this and accomplish this in our lives. We pray this now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen, amen, wonderful.